have good news from Korea. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. All right, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to change things up again. This is Chris, and um, I'm actually going to do an interview with Doug and with Brett. They, um, without me, um, heartbroken, uh, game this weekend down in Jacksonville, and they played Mig Alley all the way through. So, guys, what were your thoughts on Mig Alley? And welcome tonight. Well, it was fun. I got my butt frog stomped all weekend, but you know what? I had a, had a good time. Yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. I uh, we'll see what Brett's perspectives uh, were that may be a little different from mine, uh, but I really enjoyed it. We we finally got to play some of the missions we hadn't played as we introduced uh, jets into them. But I, I had a good time, and I think there's a lot of other uh, a lot of things we learned playing uh, those five or seven or eight games. Yeah, it's cool. I mean the video the the videos and the freaking pictures you guys were posting. I was just like, man. I was having a good time. Trust me. I was planting planes, painting planes, but um, I would have much rather been rolling dice. I mean, you guys just that 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 war one map that you've got, Brett, that you were using, that thing looks just insanely badass for freaking for North Korea. I mean, just trench lines everywhere and just beat up terrain. It's what I would imagine Korea looked like from the air. We were pretty happy with it. In fact, uh, after a couple of days of playing, we were searching online for some mouse pad material rivers so that we could instead of having a custom mat we could basically lay the yalu on a mat pretty much however we wanted we found some interesting things out there so we'll see we may may add to that mat with some stuff we could just lay on top oh that'll be awesome to see a custom mat especially with a yalu um and so i mean what were the big differences that you two found um i I know that everybody says hey it's different jets just operate differently but what were the huge differences that you started i mean for you brett what was it well the jets are really fast they move a long way you can cover a lot of ground in in a single move and if you do something like a a dive you're really scooting across that board yeah, I think Brett found out the hard way that uh, even when you have hive cover on the other side of the board, if it's been in your your starting rules to place uh, the, your opponent's high cover wherever you want, with sabers and with MIGs, they can dive to the center of the board in their first turn. And then if there's no fighters around them, they're just going to go ahead and regain advantage again. So that's that really becomes a very different way for the high cover to enter the battle. It's not like a lot of the slower aircraft where you feel like high cover spends two and a half turns just getting somewhere to shoot. So they just dive right out and they're, they're boom, they're there. I mean, that, that, that sounds like Korea. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and I'll throw it to Brett and, and not to, to jump ahead to the later missions we did, but I think Brett saw that firsthand in the last two games we played where doing our best to keep the other guys high cover out of the game, they're there in a turn. That's right. Uh, well, we did three iterations of that bomber escort mission and it, it took me three tries to figure, okay, yeah, I really got to put these somewhere else yeah the, the he, he high learned cover not to put the high cover markers yeah directly behind the bombers as i rolled in and proceeded to rape his mig 15s <laughs> it, it's not just the speed either the speed's surely different you know it's a lot different than pushing bf 109s around but the fact that you get around nine inches of another jet too and you are not you know climbing for advantage like you would you know without any concern with other aircraft that that brings a whole new dynamic to the game well there's a little bit of of gamesmanship as well that you really got to pay attention to because it used to be when you're flying slow rarely did you get pinned into a corner where you had to fly off the board where you just couldn't turn fast enough to not fly off the board well now that may happen to you especially if engagements happen early or late in the game and you've got to really understand what those uh, scenario rules are and whether you're going to come back immediately as a, a role for advantage fighter. Are you going to come back immediately as a high cover, which really means you only move an inch onto the board? Uh, or are you are you gone from the game permanently? There was at least one or maybe it happened a couple of times where I was really hugging that edge and I was barely able to keep that aircraft on, on the table. 
So you guys house ruling anything like, you know, somebody flies off the table, they go back into high cover or anything like that? No, well, we, we played it right like the book. I mean, just right, whatever. Just straight out of the scenario is how we played it. Okay. Well, I'll be honest. I, I haven't read through the book completely yet. I still don't have my copy of Meg Alley. Um, and I've only only given a little bit of look at the rules that I was forwarded. So, I mean, jets weren't necessarily my thing, but the pictures you guys were posting the other day, um, I, I'd been, ever since Andy said Midway, um, all I've been watching is Navy freaking World War II videos freaking on Amazon. By the way, if you've got Amazon Prime, uh, it's like every video in the world, every documentary is up there. So that's what I was doing. And then I started seeing you guys' pictures and it was like, hmm, wonder what they got on Korea. So started pulling up the Korea stuff and and the Korea footage that they have out there is just amazing. Watching, you know, F-80s and F-51s roll in on North Korean um, trains. And then it, it was neat because they were, they were talking about how, you know, we own the skies. This was our war. We were doing all this. Everything was going wonderful. And then the MIG showed up. And um, and that's 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 what it looks like. This game is is evolving to is just something completely different. You just made that huge leap when the jet showed up. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty thematic. And you know how I typically run the television with some appropriate uh, propaganda going on in the background. We were watching tons of uh, footage and stuff for for Korea. It was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. Yeah, the good, the good thing is we we realized that. The 1950s U.S. Air Force was not like the 2019 U.S. Air Force. So when they started putting up all the nose art and all the names of the nose art, and and we were just rolling watching some of the stuff, we, we would stop playing and watch some of the, the B-29 documentary photos they had from uh, one, I think it was a airman who was a ordnance man uh, down in Kadena. Uh, during the war and looking at the names of the bombers and the nose art on them. And when there was, uh, you know, like Fujimo, which you can go figure out for, you know, fuck you, Jack, I got my orders. Uh, and things like the purple shaft were the names of the bombers. I mean, we're just rolling. We're, we're dying laughing. Things they would never paint on the side of an aircraft these days. So, yeah, I mean, without a doubt. So, I mean, it just, Korea is just something, I, honestly, I think Korea, this is, this is pulling me into something that I didn't know a lot about. Um, I, I, you know, steeped in everything World War II, growing up in Europe myself, steeped in everything that happened on the Eastern Front uh, with the gaming that I did later. But Korea has just always been like a blank space for me. And just in the documentaries that I've watched, I realized how much of history I missed. I, I didn't really understand even how, the, you know, we ended up with a 38th parallel originally in, in 1950 until the other night. So for me, it was just, hey, the North Koreans showed up and they ended up fighting the freaking South Koreans. And we, we went there. But it just that dynamic of China getting involved, Russia getting involved. And it just looks like this game is something that definitely does have legs. And is is that something that you're noticing that it's it's are there aircraft that you guys want to see after playing this initial thing? And do you think that this rule set for Megali is going to be able to be expanded into other parts of the, the, the Korean Peninsula for the war? Yeah, Brett, what uh, what airplanes were you kind of uh, pining for during the uh, the fight, especially as the MiG player? Oh, man, I really wanted to see, you know, you know, I'm more of an advocate for missions than I'd say actual aircraft. Uh, maybe that's the, we hear that a lot, like, oh, give me these planes, give me those planes. I, I'm more often thinking I want the missions. But when we were playing that bomber escort mission, I was like, man, these direct, direct escorts need to be F-80s or F-84s. So I was really wishing for those. Yeah, let me put the F-86s in high cover, but I need a little break here, man. This rough ride is kicking my butt. And, and you know, while I uh, agree with Brett that that would be really thematic, let me save the entire community some time. I mean, this way you don't have to paint any F-84s. You can simulate the whole thing. So leave, leave all your models upstairs, walk downstairs, get your significant other, stand there and let them kick you in the nuts continuously for about 15 minutes. And there you have a game <laughs> of F-84s against MiG-15s. That right. I, so we were, a number of us were talking about it offline. We were like, hey, you know, uh, what other uh, aircraft should be in there? And as soon as F-80s and F-84s came up again, I'm like, guys, why? Why do you want them? Do you want to practice the misery? You know? <laughs> just a couple yeah. in direct escort just to make yeah, it look You just cool. want free boom chits. You, that's all you want. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was noticing that on the 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 um, one of the forum pages the other day put up, you know, what jets do you want to see included in Meg Alley? And the, the F-80 was probably, I think it got more votes than anything else so far. 
Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I didn't say B29 either. I mean, that's maybe that's obvious because I was saying Bomber Escort, but the B29s are going to look so sweet in that mission. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the the cool things to do. And so hopefully about the time this podcast drops or maybe a little bit before the uh, the playtest cards for B29 that, that Brett and Chris and I came up with, those will be out there. We didn't get to play any of the missions uh, with the F-82, the twin Mustangs. I really wanted to get to some of those just to see how it would fare against the Jets. Uh, but we'll throw those those playtest cards out there and see what the community thinks in the uh, Blood Red Skies ready room. Um, and you know the the thing that I'll bring up is the reason that they have lead pursuit podcast all over those cards is so you know whom to blame when they are broken, when they're unfair, when they're not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go blaming Andy. Don't go blaming uh, Ken Nat or any of those other guys. Those were our stats. Those were our rules. Uh, you you can blame us if you don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like you know just with the stuff we're going to add, but it, it sounded like you know Andy was a little tentative um, about what additionally we were going to see for Meg Alley. So I mean, I, I know that they're making the big push for you know more cards, more rules, more scenarios, and not necessarily aircraft. That's kind of it sounded like it was last in the list for them. So I mean, I think with us out there pushing too. Um, it'll probably be a good expansion for Mega Alley down the road. I mean, I know, Brett, weren't you working with uh, the guys from Miscellaneous Minis on um, actually getting some B-29 freaking decals done up? Yeah, we're working on uh, trying to get three bombers from, uh, I think, 19th, 19th Bomb Group. I, I, forgive me, I don't remember the unit numbers and stuff, but three three aircraft that survived the war so that uh, you could do sheets that would let let you uh, paint either early war or late war as the as the um, paint schemes change, and then an RB twenty nine. So for recce missions or whatever, you'd have perhaps a sheet to do that. So we'll see. It might be a little while before we get those done, but it sounds like a project that Kevin over at um, Miscellaneous Miniatures is interested in working out for us. So we'll see. And, and, cool. and I'll be honest, from being kind of pulled a little bit behind the curtain today, uh, there's a lot of stuff that still hasn't been statted out there are there are some stats that they obviously have not released yet because they're trying to figure out where's the game going and and where do they want to contra- concentrate their efforts and you know there there's still a number of people involved in arguing about what traits go with what airplanes and, and today fortunately when they kind of pulled me behind the curtain and, sh- and showed me some of that stuff i had to laugh because everybody has their pet rock their favorite airplane you know and and i want good stats for this plane because i love this airplane even if it was an absolute dog and and I always start off by apologizing to all of our UK British friends. The meteor sucked. So <laughs> when people when people argue about the meteor, I'm like, dude, just take it in the shorts like the meteors did. I'm sorry. <laughs> of course, I mean, it was a late war German airplane. I mean, for crying out loud, when you read the you read the history of the meteor and pirates being soaked in the fuel as they were trying to fly and just bursting into a ball of flame, it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. let me put my ass on a Roman candle <laughs> that only so, burns for a couple minutes and go so, shoot so, the bomber so, yeah. scream with it. I'll, I'll roll this grenade out there. Thankfully, I saw that there are different stats between a World War II and late war, you know, uh, meteor and a Korean vintage Mark eight meteor, but you can only polish a turd so much. And I'm sorry, guys. It's it, it, it to me, it is just like the F 80 absolutely thematic American airplane that sucked. And, and, and I feel the same way about even, uh, you know, even the, uh, F nine Panthers, F nine F Panthers. I sit there and I go, I don't want stats for them because unless I just want to beat up on some ground targets, that's about the fun we're going to have, you know? Exactly. And that might be the thing, you know, maybe people may be thinking about, you know, ground attack, ground strike coming down the road. And, it, you know, when I was watching the footage, you know, I watched two different documentaries last night. All the footage you saw of the F-80 was it blowing up ground targets. There was no talk of it being some kind of air superiority fighter in any way. So, you know, we basically, we we blew up the entire North Korean Air Force in the first couple of days of the war. And until the MiG showed up, that was that. It basically, everything that we had turned into, you know, a, a mud mover. Well, so, yeah. I mean... And here's, here's the problem. So I'm going to commit some horrible heresy here as a U.S. Marine. So we've, we especially as an aviator, everybody's been steeped in this photo of... John Glenn and Ted Williams debriefing after a mission and they're talking with their hands. And I am sure that guys sit there and go, man, the F9F must have been a dogfighting machine. 
it wasn't. (laughs) 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 They had some good pilots that did some amazing stuff in it with a aircraft that was not, was just not to the caliber of what the other jets were. Um, So I I just kind of chuckle at that. You know, I, I sit there and go, sure. I know I want it in there. I'm not expecting it to be an amazing airplane. Like you said, Chris, that airstrike thing might open up a lot of legitimacy for those airframes because certainly all those aircraft you mentioned and others were a big part of that. I mean, you watch 90% of the footage and it's either them blowing up a train or them dropping, you know, dropping napalm on a freaking hillside somewhere. So I can see where with what they did with Korea through Warlord, you know, this big Korea push they have once airstrike coming out. I mean, me, I'm I'm a Russian guy, so I'm hoping that airstrikes, it it is the mother of all games. And now with me getting the the midway heroin in my arm already, it's, it's, um, you know, I want to see torpedo planes and I want to see carriers getting sunk and it's so I, I I don't know what it is I, I'm more interested in blowing up things on the ground than I am in air to air and I think it would be awesome to see Korea expanded in that direction also yeah, it's some in- interesting historical accounts about uh, those aircraft being used in conjunction with B-29 strikes so of course you know the B-29s had direct escorts and, and uh, high cover escorts that are legitimate for, you know, be more uh, typical missions. And then, you know, the other things could be potential airstrike add-ons for a campaign or something. So I think there's a lot of potential out there. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, so when you guys were playing this weekend, just a little bit more, you know, from a guy that's more of a prop head anyway, what, what does a prop head need to know going into blood roots? I mean, going into Meg Alley, if I was, if I was a, you know, I had never thought about jets. I'd never looked at the rule set before. What is a takeaway that you guys have from this weekend that, you know, this is immediately what you need to start thinking about. That's completely different from the blood red skies you've known for the last two years. We talked about the nine inch rule that jet two has that's that's constantly in your mind because you're not going to climb for advantage uh, but also if you're playing migs like i was there's that um that rough rod rule which um it's a real ball buster sometimes uh what that rule means is uh, if you burn advantage to maneuver or something you then have to um take a maneuver check to see if, if you have to pass a maneuver check to take another pilot action so let's say you um you uh do a um a, you want to maneuver right you want to do a, a, a extra turn or you know what i mean i'm having difficulty explaining the uh i want to draw a picture right bur- yeah you want to burn advantage so you're either yeah. going to dive or you're yeah, going yeah. to uh use that to make a 180 degree turn somewhere in your move and then if you want to do something after that in your final pilot action like shoot or uh out maneuver you have to pass a maneuver test to see if you're even able to do that. And I failed a lot of those. Yeah. And, and it's, it's <laughs> yes, kind of heartbreaking. It's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, if you want to, well, even if, well, I guess climbing probably wouldn't matter. A lot of times climbing isn't an option because you're already close to nine inches, but a lot of times it's shooting, right? You, you do a, you do a clever turn to get into a good position to take a shot, but then you can't take the shot because, you know, you pulled so many G's, your pilots nearly blacked out or something. So, uh, that that haunted me frequently during the game. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like it, it ruined the fun, but it's just it's something that definitely never even had to think about when you're pushing 109s around. But certainly was a game changer in the way things work with uh, with MIGs. Well, I think the good thing is it keeps keeps the the MIG 15 and the F 86E from being just mirror images of each other with different speeds. It it provides a little bit of the thematic Korean War. They they didn't do crazy high speed maneuvers to get behind the bombers or another fighter and expend their weapons. Uh, if you read a lot of the accounts, they came in on you know very gradual sweeping dives, shot maybe made you know as they would refer to it a chandelle, which is just a climbing left hand or right hand turn, basically almost like they're flying the pattern. You know, climb up, turn out, bound to the bomber formation, look around, see if anyone was chasing them. If not, they'd pitch in for another shot at the bombers. And then a lot of times go home because let's think about it. MiG-15 doesn't have a lot of gas. They might have been airborne as the bombers approached uh, and not launched as truly a, a last-minute scramble. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't have the ability to stick around after multiple passes. I think they attacked in big numbers too, didn't they? 
Well, yeah. And, and so that was something that I think we really tried to do in our scenarios, uh, were, were simulate, as I call it, the two plus two plus two attack that they would run that, you know, regardless of what the scenario booklet says, we would change up the, the playing of it such that we would end up with three elements of two MIGs each. The first two were on the board and the last element of two was in high cover such that you, you simulated how the entire, uh, the entire air regiment and air divisions would would go into combat where they would cover each other's actions and when those six ships went in they didn't all go in to make an immediate attack on one single bomber they kind of brought themselves in waves so and i i didn't mind the asymmetry i i thought the asymmetry was uh was interesting i i wasn't expecting some uh mirror image or perfect balance between the two forces so uh anyway i i enjoyed it i thought it was i didn't I wasn't, um, it didn't ruin any of the fun for me. That's the gift of being narrative players and, and not super competitive. So it's more about reproducing what actually happened. And it sounds like that's what you were doing. And I was watching a video last night where they were talking with a former North Korean pilot. And he was talking about, how, you know, the Russians basically showed up, put him in flight school. And he says, they taught me how to take off. They taught me how to land. And I basically had to figure out everything else myself. <laughs> right. Well, so that's kind of the funny thing when you look back on this through a modern aviation lens and you think about debriefs, lessons learned. Think about this stupid Marine Corps lessons learned that we always had to type up there, Chris. Remember those things? That I, yep. I don't think anyone actually read, but at least they existed. Well, guess what? Nobody typed that up between the exchange of, of Russian air divisions. And so entire air regiments would learn tactics and how to attack a B-29. And the next group of guys would show up and go... Okay, so we're flying a combat air patrol tomorrow, and it's B-29s aggressing us. So they there was a uh, submission lack of learning both on the Soviet side. Um, and then, you know, God forbid, the North Koreans, I think, had the, the shortest end of the stick because the Chinese had been treated horribly by the Russians. So the Chinese treated the North Korean allies even worse, uh, and no information got down to them, even though they had uh, a few good pilots. Um, but the, the Chinese were really hamstrung by the fact that there was so many airplanes showing up and so little flight time and language barriers and everything else. At some point, their Russian instructors are like, ah, just put them in the air and send them out. <laughs> They'll figure it out. It's just amazing. Can you imagine that? I mean, we, we think about everything from a, from our, you know, our American background of, you know, even during World War II, you know, every other Air Force, the Japanese, the Germans, they were taking all of their veteran pilots and basically leaving them on the front. And we were one of the only Air Forces that was constantly bringing our guys back to train. And we always have had that established training pipeline because the the two beautiful freaking oceans that separate us from the rest of the world and our ability to do that. But can you, I just can't imagine being some North Korean teenager who's who's in college for a couple of years. Um, God knows where you come from. And somebody says, hey, um, let me scra- strap this brand new technology to your butt that moves it, you know, uber, hey, uber knots Lord. and cut you loose with freaking machine guns. And um, and hey, go get the guys trying to kill you. I just can't imagine what that's like. It's just unfathomable. So, so think about this. And this is where it's really. I'm really having a hard time building scenarios that I feel properly simulate the Chinese. At least North Korea had an air force. So understand, China had zero fighter aircraft as it was approaching the Korean crisis. Zero. Zero point zero zero. <laughs> and, oh my God. and so you think about that, that they've got the, – they had – I, I think at, at one point, like three fighters, and then as nationalist forces started to push into that area, they seriously disassembled them and buried them Iraqi style. And they were found like, you know, 60 years later. Uh, but but they absolutely had no fighter cadre. They also, when they said, let's stand up an Air Force, well, because they were, the Communist Party was a ground-based institution, was infantry-centric, was was peasant-centric. They're like, well, we want all of our pilots to be thoroughly indoctrinated party members who've been infantry officers that that understand what, what the, the strife of the peasant is about. These guys had no technical education. Some of them had no education, period. So imagine trying to be a World War II experienced Russian pilot who has come back, taught his own countrymen how to fly this brand new airplane, and now they're giving you these MiGs, either a MiG-9 or a MiG-15, uh, to go down there and stand up the Chinese Air Force overnight when they suddenly realize there's going to be this, this war in the Korean peninsula, not a recipe for success. 
we we look at the guys we still look at them as the bad guys but i mean just just as as a military person with a military background it's just it's mind-boggling to me that they were able to find people with the guts (laughs) the bravery i mean did you just get that the bravery that it took to do something like that and 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 that's the tough thing so so here's where i i love blood red skies and, and i'm trying to figure out how to how to do what blood red skies is supposed to do well but with the Chinese, it's supposed to really simulate that it's the man in the box, not just the box that's important. Um, and when you go out there and you read the, and I'll call it more of a, a, a research book than a, than a history book, Red Wings Over the Yalu, which is written specifically about standing up the Chinese Air Force and, and the impact that Korea had uh, on the Chinese Air Force, you know, even into the modern era where you know, they're now fighting with Sukhois and, and home-built uh, versions of Sukhois and their own indigenous aircraft. Uh, but but how they got from zero airplanes to, you know, hundreds of fighters in Korea, um, that for them has been a strategic growth. And so it's a it's it's interesting to go back and read through that and go, well, how do I simulate in, in Blood Red Skies? If I make all the guys skill too, that isn't fair because there were some of them that had a lot of heart and a lot of desire and flew really hard and just weren't that good but they still shot down a lot of allied aircraft um so you you don't want to penalize them for for not being skilled but you can't make them skill four guys because then they will never get shot down like they did for making one minor mistake you know when you when you read how the accounts go yeah i mean that that kind of segues into something i wanted to ask you i mean is you are our resident Jet jock guy. I mean, yeah, you were a backseater, which means you just fired up the iPod and played Danger Zone for the guy in the front. But I mean, what is you know what about is this? It, do I need it's- to recount your career again? <laughs> sure, sure. Your boxes have arrived, sir. We have knives. We have boots. It's it's awesome, sir. Me, me and Doug have a lot of history. I would just have a lot of history. So this is this is constant. Um, I, I'm getting a little tired of the magic joke. So I'm going to start pulling out some of my backseat jet guy jokes. But anyway, um, but seriously, I mean, from a from a jet perspective, you being a former WTI, what did you see in this rule set? And I'm not, I know we're, we're doing a simulation of a simulation of a simulation. You know, this this is more about rolling dice and playing a game. But did the way the jets played for you being a jet background guy, play in a way that you think would be different from props. So I'll say two things. You you, you have to shelve, first of all, uh, my hatred of the current boom chip mechanic, because that that's fine. I'll 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 say that again was a big stumbling block, flipping the I believe button, and, and I'll tell you why here in a second. And second, the other part you have to realize is because it's not a perfect simulation is I thought, like I said, simulation of a simulation of a simulation. There's a lot of things that as someone who has flown these aircraft or ridden, as you're fond of reminding me, um, you, you have to figure out what's the equivalent of that maneuver. I, I know really what an airplane would do, but how do I do that in this game that it's a very similar action? I'm, I'm making the same trade off. So what I'll say is, yes, they, it felt like. It, it felt much more like jet combat, especially because aircraft quickly went back into high cover, which is a lot like in the pre-missile era, people pitching out of the fight, climbing up above the fight because they have such you know high thrust to weight ratios uh, that they can then look down and, and pick their next attack. Um, what I, I did also find that I think has caused some people to say the game is broken, um, but I would say you have no experience, <laughs> is, is they don't like the fact that that when jets get beat down and, and that they can't regain advantage and that it becomes a bloodbath. But that's what happens in modern jet air combat. And it's, it's a f- cause of a couple factors. And the reason it's different than props specifically is the energy addition rates. The, the aircraft just can't get away from each other. And so the, the rules with jet too, with, with jet in general, not being able to uh, climb for advantage if you have a same or higher generation of jet with you there, uh, that's a that's a great simulation of the inability to get out of a fight. It it isn't like Top Gun. It isn't like the movies. When you're in that phone booth with another aircraft dogfighting, if they don't give you any quarter, you don't leave the fight. So it's it, it's been hard for me to read some of the the Korea accounts and go, well, the the MiGs just left. Why did the F eighty six not pursue? Or why did the F eighty fours not pursue? Well, it's because they were below bingo. They were below the amount of gas to go home. And so they're climbing up into, as we call it, the Moronosphere, as high as they can go and trying to get back home and land on fumes. 
Um, so, so the reason I bring that up is that's, that's where Andy will come back and tell me, see Doug, the boom mechanic works. Well, it does, but it unfortunately makes you leave the combat and you feel like you're lost because you're, because you're simulating such a small piece of the combat. So I, I think the boom chip mechanic does what it's supposed to. It makes any engagement that you turn with and shoot at other guys causes some fatigue but the problem is you still the game ends pretty quickly sometimes without a without a thematic ending i guess is is that how you'd say it brett because i mean there was a couple times that we kept playing that we said all right we we've hit the end of the boom chits but let's see where this dogfight goes because it was really getting good when we ran out of boom chits yeah well when we did dogfight and fighter sweep it felt that way i mean i amassed a lot of boom chits really quick and a lot of that's too that you know i don't have enough reps under me to um you know, a lot of times I'd, I'd get tailed and I didn't see it coming and I probably should have, you know, if I'd, if I'd played a little more, I'd maybe see those things coming a few steps ahead and I'm, I'm just not quite there yet. And, and when you get tailed in with jets, you're toast because, well, like you just said, you can't get away and, uh, you're, you're stuck in that dis, I mean, you're going to take a boom chip for a hit and then you're going to be removed from the board and you're getting another boom chip. That kind of thing happened. And if that just happens a couple of times, you're pretty quickly to a point where the game's practically over. That, well, I wasn't, I wasn't too bummed out about that, but it wasn't as obviously thematic as when we got to the later bomber missions. And I thought those, even with the boom chip mechanic, were still super thematic to me. And we could talk yeah, a little bit about I'll that. And I'll lay out the, I'll lay out the basic math if people are having a hard time understanding in a in a six v six MIGs versus, um. MIGs versus Sabres kind of battle, why, where that boom chit mechanic causes you to hiccup a little bit. So, uh, not a huge fan of head-on gun attacks, but we'll use it as an example here for how that happens, where you might come into an attack if it's, you know, four of your six MIGs have managed to, you know, either have their wingman move in and outmaneuver somebody so they're knocked down or, or they're taking a couple head-on shots because probably not everybody is more advantaged than the guys they're meeting in a jet battle like this. Um, if there's head-on shots, odds are 50% of the time or so, you, you're going to rack up a boom chit for doing that. Um, so there's one or two boom chits. Okay, oh, by the way, it's seven boom chits, assuming you don't lose anybody. Then should you decide to plant the flag? If, as happened to Brett... Sure, you get some boom chits on on one of the other guy's fighters, and maybe you knock him down. But by anchoring down, you are now, at best, neutral. You are probably very quickly disadvantaged as one of his other guys, Bernard Ace, shows up, and the next turn just auto um, auto outmaneuvers you. Uh, so you next are going to acquire two more boom chits at least, because the guy's going to hit you. And you're probably going to get shot down um, if you're in, in a big furball. So right now we're at four boom chits, three to four boom chits. Um, and we've played two turns, maybe three if we started really far apart. Um, and, and the furball is really just starting to develop. And so you lose a fighter on either side and all of a sudden five or six is the magic number of boom chits you get to. And you're only one more, a couple more deflection shots away. So, so as everybody swirls around and gets ready to come back in, there's a couple deflection shots taken the game's over and you're like but wait i i have four more aircraft five more aircraft i'm about to make this merge happen and do some good work but we're out of boom chits so that that is where planting the flag getting in a in a turning dogfight in mig alley you better be prepared if the dice go don't go against you and don't go your way you could eat a lot of boom chits very quickly when i turn guys out of the fight to be able to get out of that nine inch bubble and and climb for advantage. You know, it takes a long time to get those guys back into the fight because they fly so far away and you got to turn back and, uh, you know, rough ride yeah, sometimes because, messes you up on that too, you know? Well, Trying and, to and maneuver to come back quickly, you might not climb again. Yeah, that's, that's part of the problem is you're going to end up flowing out of the fight and you, you know, as long as you get outside that nine-inch bubble, it's easy to regain that advantage, but you don't want to immediately burn that advantage and come back into the fight neutral because guess what? Everybody else is probably neutral at this point uh, because you've left the fight and they've at least climbed up once. So uh, there's there's a, a lot of difficult things about that that advantage exchanging mechanic that it's not just like uh, a propeller airplane where I'm going to pitch out of the fight for a second, maybe let my wingman do whatever they're doing. I'll climb for advantage. 
you know, turn back in. I can burn advantage, shoot a dude, and then flow out of the fight. Uh, it, it does not work that way. The Jets. We talk a little bit about that last bomber mission we did because I really enjoyed that. And yeah, in the bomb, absolutely, the, the chit mechanic seemed appropriate. It was uh, not an easy mission, and 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 I didn't uh, I didn't earn I didn't gain the success, uh, the victory. Uh, requirement but it was so close and it was so much fun the whole way um that one was a little bit different because we had the two bombers on the that had to fly straight across the board and uh they had to both make it or make it to turn six to uh for you to have a victory and uh, regardless of how many boom chits i get so same conditions apply to me if i rack up enough boom chips to fleet to flee the battle that my game's over, but we got all the way to turn six before that happened. So it came down to the final dice roll. And, um, it's a little bit different too. the setup, the deployment, you have fewer aircraft on the board than I do. Your, your, uh, main body of your F 86s are in high cover. So they come on later and I get to place that right. high cover thing. And of course they're so fast. They're going to be there in what a turn or well, yeah. so. And, and, and that was the, the funny part for me was, you know, getting, getting used to the fact that sure I only had two fighters to to kind of hold you off a little bit um but it's really important and I, and I can't emphasize this enough if you are playing straight out of the box set then rolling in uh to Migali go out there and read the errata and how they've changed that scenario scenario 5 the rules are different how you treat bombers are different they can be tailed um that that makes a huge change was kind of essential really for it to be a, a closer outcome because we played it a couple other times with the old rules and it was just like something doesn't seem right here i'm never going to get to this but uh, that last time we played it sure was fun and and um you know i could have deployed a little bit different to tie up maybe or, or slow down or interdict in some way the f-86s you had on a table but i put all my aircraft going as fast as directly as they could to at least one of the bombers to try to knock it down and i nearly got there and of course you know by doing uh, putting all my eggs in one basket going you know it put me in a perfect place where you could easily get on them with your um f-86s coming in from high cover but i didn't really care because the mission was hey look i'm going to try to put as many shots as i can on this bomber and uh, it was fun and i think you did a great job in coming up with the cards for the b-29 because funny enough maybe a little side story here we were watching all those uh war films and war training wartime training films and one of them oddly enough it was kind of surreal was a raf video where they were using meteors i think and it was a, a training film on how to defeat the b-29 and yeah. i still i still <laughs> understand that, that why that was. well i i think it was it might have been the generic hey we're going to talk about how bombers work and because we have b-29s you know after the war uh in the 50s you know in europe but yeah it was kind of funny to watch them go through all of this briefing on how they're going to shoot down a b-29 you're like Wait a minute. You're on our side, aren't you? <laughs> the way those cards came out, the way he did those cards, I think it pretty well reflected uh, that, uh, you know, what they were describing. I mean, there was a lot of threat that was coming from that tail cone when uh, they were firing back. And, uh, you know, I took some licks from the B-29, but I put some on it, too. I think that game, it came down to uh, I had already got enough boom chits that, the game was going to be over. We were at turn six. So, it, and I, I think that the B-29 had three boom chits on it and I failed to put another one on it, but I had that last card. It was, um, what was it? Heavy flak presence? Heavy flak. Yeah. And I, I rolled three successes. So you had three dice and you had to roll a success to, to not get hit. It's like a deflection <laughs> shot. And you rolled this, you rolled it. But if I, if that, you know, if you hadn't rolled a success, that would have been a victory for me because it yep. would have gotten shot down I, I by my gigs have to brag on myself and throw that one out on the Facebook page for everyone to see because it was funny. And that's in a sense, that's what I love about the game is that it, you still have those moments where everybody's pushing for this win. It's, it's competitive, but it's not list competitive. Um, and, and everyone's trying to make, uh, especially in this, this last turn of the bombers. And it was, it was pretty cinematic because it was right before that B-29 was going to hit a cloud and at least get back some of his advantage. <laughs> so as this guy's making the last ditch run into the cloud, every one of your MIGs is trying to hit this guy and every one of them fail. Well, you got one, you got one through because you went from two to three boom chits. So he has three boom chits, one engine left and you play the heavy flat card and 
with it when it came up three spades i'm like okay well this is gonna be the end of the game there's no way i'm i there is no way that i'm going to get a success on this one and sure enough i did so that was a super fun and super satisfying uh game of all the ones we played that i thought that one that was the one that stuck with me the most it's fun that that was the last one we played yeah yeah that was good and you know the uh the fun thing about going back through some of these missions is is if you walk into the missions out of the boxed game understanding you have to tweak it a little bit then it's okay don't don't go in and think i can play it with the exact same ace abilities and the exact same uh cards that that they would have had you know what brett and i did is we kind of sat there and we talked through the doctrine and theater cards which ones do we think apply to this phase of the war or which ones do we think apply um to this part of the mission so we had heavy flak presence we had i used clear skies because once again if the weather is terrible they were not going to send the b-29s up there at this stage of the game to do radar bombing it just wasn't worth the the loss of life um and then we talked through some of the doctrine stuff you know what what were going to be the things that that were cards that I could play. Interlocking Fire was obviously uh, a good choice uh, for the Bombers, even though you only really play that once uh, per game because it does get uh, removed from your hand. Um, but you know, there, there's a I, I that think one players, would be sick if you played it over and over. Again. Oh God, I wish you could. There's there's so many times I wanted to play it over again. I'm like, I have to wait for the perfect opportunity when I'm you know going to use the right amount of Bomber firepower. But but to me, that's what the community should want to do with this game. Is the game is so quick to play. Go play with your buddies. Go hang out. Try try a certain set of cards and go, you know what? Let's play that whole game over again. Maybe switch sides if you want. Um, but let's play it with different cards. Let's try different ace traits. I know we went through a bunch of different ace traits because obviously we don't have named aces in the big alley box. Um, so we were just saying, hey, I want to try Slippery on my guy or I want to try True Grit. Um, and we found some of them that fit our, our play style and some of, us, some of them fit what we wanted the ace to do, how we really wanted, how we thought an ace f86 pilot would have been employed you know and so i was i was kind of trying to um play thematically like some of the wing commanders and, and other guys that um that always you know pushed pushed other migs around so their wingmen could shoot them down <laughs> not necessarily that they were chasing all the all the kills but we're trying to try to outmaneuver that wingman or outmaneuver that mig so their wingman would get in and get the kill. it's worth noting you say playing out of the box we didn't get our um our box for um no, I'm, yet, I'm so still. We're, I'm pretty much standing outside my mailbox every day, Andy, <laughs> warlord. Wherever this is, it's shipped. It's via slow boat to China. I, I can see you right now. You're like, you're like watching the, the watching the the police or the watching the the post office car go by. No, and it, it just it, keeps it, going, and a little tear comes down your cheek. Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. <laughs> it's it's straight from the old Peanuts cartoon. I'm just standing by the mailbox, waiting for someone to send me a Christmas card, and Andy's Christmas card hasn't arrived yet. So <laughs> I'll just keep playing with my models. Just use yep. the missions right in the leaflet for the um, Battle Britain starter box, and yeah, just yeah, modify exactly. them like you were saying. That's good stuff. I mean, with you guys, I mean, with everything you saw this weekend, one other question I want to have, you know, there was, there was a, there was a chat, you know, Mitch brought up, um, that they're, that Andy and them are looking at late era jets for World War II and, you know, things like the Meteor and, and more specifically the 262. Do you guys see that with your experience now with Megali being something that you really want to look at when you get, you know, doing more World War II stuff, especially you, Brett, with, you know, the possibility of some of these German jet aircraft that are out there. Yeah, I think it'd be super fun to uh, to collect them and learn more about it because I'll probably read a bunch as I start, you know, trying to figure out paint schemes and stuff. So that's where my interest lies. I, I'm not really overly concerned about how competitive or whatever they might be on the field. I, I don't really have any real opinion or strong thoughts about, you know, how, how much more powerful they're going to be over other aircraft in the game. Uh, I, I haven't really made an opinion on that I, I can guess if they'll be that they'll be i, I don't know i don't want to i don't want to guess what the rules are going to be like for them maybe you guys already know but um i mean I, I'll, I'll probably be very interested in them just because i'll really want to paint them it, it doesn't really go too much farther beyond that but I, yeah i'd like to play them and stuff i, I can imagine again it kind of goes back to that maybe that bomber escort thing i think it'd be super fun to use 262s to try to shoot down some bombers right so 
I was going to say that's where my answer is a little bit different. But go ahead, Chris. Ask ask the question you're going to ask. No, no. I was just saying. You know, that's that's what I was thinking too. You know, I was I'm I'm you know being a prop guy. I'm thinking more. You know, I can see this late war. It would be fun to see some two sixty twos on the board. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of seeing the meteor out there just because in real life it it didn't have a huge impact. Um, and some of the other jets of the, the, you know, the Nazis came up, didn't have a very big impact. So, I mean, I can see the 262, but for me personally, it's kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see. I mean, I looked at the rules today, gave them a quick, you know, once over what Mitch and them posted and, and nothing looked outlandish or ridiculous. I mean, fast moving, you know, but a lot of the other traits that we're seeing in normal blood red sky stuff. But I mean, I'm not, I'm, I haven't broken either way on it yet. I, I'm kind of taking a wait and see attitude on it. I don't play Germans a whole lot. So it's, it's not something that I'm really looking at. The, the Russians, you know, didn't, weren't figuring that out too well at that point. So um, it's not something that's going to matter and factor in a lot for me. But what you were saying, Doug? I, I can give you two words to summarize my desire to play Jets in World War II. Fuck no. <laughs> and, and let me let me be hard over on that uh, because I, I think it'll be cool. Like Brett said, I would love to play a bomber mission with two six twos. But here's the problem. It it really the rules will simulate that jet very well, where you're gonna put a two six two on the board and you're gonna put it against Mustangs. Okay, have fun. You're gonna put it against P forty sevens. Let's remember the first guy to knock down. A 262 and a P47 forced the dude to fly into the ground. He didn't exactly shoot him down. So yeah. let's, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we have to remember that you're going to, you think you have a lot of pain with how jets are playing versus jets. Oh, just stand by cupcake. It's going to get worse because I've played props against jets and it's not fun as the props guys. It may be thematic, it may be cinematic, it may be historical. Uh, fun is not one of the things that that immediately came to mind when I played MIGs versus Corsairs, even with some constrained rules, just because you are really putting apples and oranges in the same box and trying to fight to a to a balanced ending. It's not going to be there. It's, it's going to be fun for a historical battle. It will not be fun for any sense of balance at all. Yeah, I can completely see that. But, you know, like, like a lot of things, I mean, you know, they he kind of hinted at it uh, when we talked to Andy. I'd love to see some either Weird War, Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe style, uh, you know, German and American and British stuff out there uh, as a expansion, you know, a year from now, whatever. That's that's more of the let's have fun. Yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's take Conflict 47 and let's make a Blood Red Skies expansion for it. And let's make some weird looking yeah. airplanes and and let's go have fun. And that that to me is what I want World War Two jets for. I, I, I really don't want them for anything else. <laughs> yeah. I would, the other night I was working on a couple of dust models and I was actually looking at a couple of the dust airplanes. It was like, oh, how cool would it be to have these in one 200 scale and, yeah, and, like I, some, and bring me, a couple I, dust models into I it just for something about that would Pelican. be goofy. I'm like, fun. you know, this would be so much fun to have stats and a one 200 Pelican uh, to be able to play those against uh, two 6-2s or whatever. I just, you know, even if you had the other dust fighters in there, um, that would be that would be awesome. I think it would be fun. Um, but like I said, you know, that that takes this game in a in a little bit different turn than that a lot of people have have been talking about blood red skies and it really takes it away from some of the history and i th i think um you know we all kind of walk into some things with blinders and we say man this game is fun this is great it's cinematic there's no rivet counters in the community and i think in the last week we've seen some rivet counters pop up a and it's not that they're bad people it's just that's their habit pattern and so yeah we'll we'll bring up a topic and they'll like but by the way did you know and you're like I really didn't care. Thank you. Thank you for the the history lesson there. You're right. You got me. I was that was a dumb idea for me to think of it, but by golly, wouldn't it be cool if? Um, yeah. So. Oh, I mean, Brett, and you alluded to it just a little bit. You were talking about, you know, you were looking forward to painting 262s. And one thing I wanted to ask you and both of you, how was it painting silver jets? How different was it trying to do silver? So funny, I mean, it's everything silver. Yeah, but I was telling Doug, I, I'm surprised at all these little projects, how much I've learned each time I've, you know, batch painted six airplanes, regardless of which ones they were. That every single time I, I kind of go into it pretty cavalier, like, oh, this is going to be pretty easy. But there's always something, uh, not nothing negative, but there's always something like, oh, you know, I never didn't really think about that. If I did it again, I would do it this way. So it's like my process is evolving 
each batch I do. And that was certainly true with the, uh, the metal skins on the MIGs. Um, so, uh, I guess some of my quick lessons learned typically when I paint metallics, I, I often will, um, undercoat with a gloss black. I'll spray it through my airbrush. I just use, uh, Vallejo, um, Vallejo, uh, primer and it's a, there's a gloss black one and it just gives a real nice smooth surface. I didn't do that the first time with these just cause I was like, eh, I'm just going to, I think, I think it's literally, I did it with a rattle can this time because I had a little break in my day and I didn't want to fire up the airbrush and I was like, ah, no big deal. I'm just going to do this. And I think I would have got a little smoother finish. I probably would have been a little bit more satisfied if I had stuck with what I would usually do for a metallic paint. But, uh, so there's that. I also, um, I tried the Flory wash, the Flory model washes for the first time. And I opted for the dark dirt. And I think specifically on a silver finish, the black would have been better. And I was pretty cavalier in the way I applied it. I just like covered the whole model. It was really for me kind of a, a way of testing how this Flory model wash stuff would work for me for my paddle lines. So I just intentionally uh, washed the entire aircraft and then, you know, a day or two later rubbed it off and stuff with wet uh, Q-tips and stuff. And it was fine, but I think black would have been a little better. So I actually ended up going back and doing my panel lines with some um, thin down black ink. Yeah, but I'm actually jealous that you guys both ordered the flurry wash because i purposely chose to stay away from it i kind of had a, a mindset of what i was going to do uh and i kind of regretted it as i looked at uh, brett's models I'm like man i really should have ordered some of that but but like you said i would have gone straight for the black rather than the uh the dark dirt yeah, yeah i think I'm, dark dirt and black is probably going to be a must-have in my in my on my paint rack I, i'm really liking the flurry wash so far but at one place that i've in it only one place i found it fail so far as i used it on my first batch of you know the beige-ish navy japanese color for the zeros right. and um it, that black just it stains that paint so much yep. when you use the typical you just can't get it up and i end up having to go back and basically hand paint every panel again <laughs> well, so so let's be perfectly Around honest it, so, so, so brett ran into that too so so we had yeah. this discussion because sometimes the the terminology we use may lead either us or people that listen to us to to misunderstand the level of effort sometime in this and we'll refer to cleaning up a model and that really means different things at different times so so with some times i've seen with the floor wash you, you've been able to remove it but brett i think you found that at one point you were removing decals and, <laughs> and yeah. you got to a point where you're like, I just got to repaint this thing. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, I could probably it. give it like a, my own little tutorial on the flurry wash. I really like it. Um, but yeah, I, I would not, I, and I, the way I did it, I intentionally kind of, uh, I don't know, tried to be really bad with it to just see just how bad can I screw this up and what's it going to do? Cause I figured, you know, worst case scenario, I'll just, you know, I'll wash it with my airbrush and it'll all be clean again. But uh, so, so I, like I said, I, I washed the whole model. So it looked horrible, right? It's just like brown model now. And I let it sit like that for like two days. Not all of them. One of them I did right away. So a couple different experiences. Actually did three different things. Uh, washed the whole thing. And before it really, you know, maybe minutes later with a damp, slightly damp Q-tip, I was able to readily wipe off the, the wash and all the places, all the flat surfaces where I didn't want it to be. And it was pretty easy, right? Um, that worked well. Uh, the ones that I let sit for a couple of days and then went back and, and washed that stuff off. Some of them were actually more than a couple of days. I think I just washed one today. So it had been sitting since like Thursday or Friday last week. It's now today's Monday. So it's several days. Anyway, a lot harder to come off in some areas. I didn't get it completely off. So to clean those up, I had to go back and individually repaint, um, panels you know to to make it look more silver and just leave the the wash and some of the recesses um and then another the third thing i did which i found it worked exceptionally well for this was just use like a pin wash right thin really thin brush and just let the capillary action run the wash through the whole panel line that worked great even better than um than enamel based panel washes that i'm fond of and I, because it, it flowed really nicely, like those often do, but then any, any, uh, mistakes, any overages or spillovers or whatever, I could immediately wipe off. So I guess my recommendation overall, whether you do a pin wash, like I just described, or you wash the whole model and wipe it off, just do it right away. Just do it. You know, maybe even while it's still kind of wet and yeah. I think you'll have really good and simple results. 
Yeah, I set mine up with uh, the hairdryer, just like you do with paint. I mean, you, you don't want to put a lot of air pressure on it because you'll actually blow the wash out of the crevices. But if you hold that air dryer back, I found the floor wash, it dries in seconds. And um, and then coming back immediately and going off. The one thing that I discovered is it's kind of paint-centric. If you're using a paint, like when I was doing my zeros, I was using a, a model colors paint that somebody else used. It wasn't an, you know, an official color. It was a, a silver white um, that somebody else used. I just love the color. I thought it looked amazing for zero paint. But I found that it's got a little bit of pumice kind of surface to it. It's not doesn't dry to a gloss sheen, and that really the flurry just it just glommed onto that texture that even though it was slight, it glommed onto that textured surface. Now when I was doing my corsairs. I use the, which, which is one of my favorite paints now, but it's that dark sea gloss navy blue from um, from Vallejo. And that stuff, I the one thing I did differently with them is I use that concrete gray because I want to kind of simulate salt, dirt, the Pacific kind of look to a dark, dark color. And it worked really well. I mean, if the stuff just washed off perfect and i think it was it has a lot to do with the surface of the paint you're doing um and i found even when i went over the white on the zeros with a with a gloss it still didn't still didn't the wash just didn't do as well as it did on a paint that was designed to be a gloss paint or or have a have more of a sheen to it so that was that was my experience with Florida. i love the flurry wash don't get me wrong but i think that there there are some applications where there there's still some other products that are probably that that just work better for it finish is going to be super helpful. I, I, like I mentioned mine, I, I wasn't perfectly satisfied with the finish on my undercoat for mine. So I had a little rougher finish than uh, I would usually prefer. And, and I noticed that was a little bit of, you know, made it a little cumbersome sometimes when I did the all over wash, especially for the ones I let sit for like four days, but uh, it wasn't uh, anything that was, you know, a war stop or anything. But if I, you know, if I was doing them again, yeah, I would do it. Like I described gloss black and I'd probably pin wash all the panel lines especially for the silver. And I would go with black on the silver for the, for the panel lines. Well, yeah. Brett, so the, the one you sent us today on Facebook that you said you'd brightened up, was that one cleaned and painted with a lighter color of silver or what was the combo on that? Yeah. yeah everything's done on that one, except for the final um, uh, varnish, the one I showed you the picture of. So yeah, uh, Doug took a look at the ones that I had mostly completed. And his first comment was, you know, I think these ought to be brighter. And I agreed after looking at his, and uh, so, yeah, I just um, uh, using uh, liquid, I think they're called liquid metal colors by Vallejo. Basically the best metallics I've ever used because you can do all kinds of things with them. But uh, I was using Duraluminum as a base, steel as a brighter color. And I, um, that was as far as I had gone. Um, I did it, I uh, thinned, really thinned down some more of the steel and went over them again just to brighten up the top surfaces and then i mixed in some white aluminum and thinned that down pretty thin and did that as well so they're a little lighter than they were i didn't go full white aluminum because white aluminum is super bright but uh, i could i could go farther and yeah i i think it turned out good i you know i didn't really get a chance to look at it on the big screen until now while we're on the podcast uh taking a look at it i i think that is the color that I was expecting to see thinking about a MIG because, you know, I put the two different shades of, of my sabers out there. And when I post the the photo from that final engagement on Facebook, people will be able to see out there what the, the different shades were. Um, your standard MIG was closer to my Pakistani saber, which was the, the darker of the two colors, which, which really, I guess, wasn't where I kind of envisioned the MIGs. I was like, oh yeah, they're going to be bright like the, like the U.S. sabers. It was a good exercise for me because when I get around to doing a B29, it's going to look sweet because I've dialed in this technique. Um, and uh, yeah, the mix are pretty much done. I think I'm going to lighten the canopies just a little bit. I'm going to bring that lighter highlight. When you look at them from above, they look light. But when you look at them from the side, that light part needs to be brought down closer to the uh, fuselage. But uh, for the most part, they're done. Yeah. So you're going to do your favorite B29? The purple shaft? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm hoping I can do command decision. That's what I'm really hoping to do because it has some, you know, all those aircraft later in the war, they were all painted black on the, on the bottoms and sides uniformly. Is, is command was, decision the one that's got the two dwarves flipping a coin on it? Yeah. 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 
<laughs> I'm so happy that that Brett asked to have decals of that one done. I'm like, that is so perfect. There, there are some of them that are just so funny that you just sit there and you go, oh yeah, these guys had had enough by this point. Well, guys, I mean, that's that's pretty much it for tonight. Do you guys have anything else you want to add or are we going to wrap things up? No, I, I really don't have a lot to add other than, you know, you, you asked me uh, as we were talking about this offline, you know, what what kind of things would you leave anyone with? Um, and and I spent a lot of time, you know, making fun of other game systems and players of other games and making fun of grognards. Um, but I'll say this about Alley: You have to have an open mind. Um, I already know there's some some Blood Red Skies, experienced Blood Red Skies players that have said, this is broken. It isn't. But you got to take a step back and you really have to look at the airplanes differently. You got to play it differently. There are things that you just won't like. Because you don't like how a system of rules inf- influences what you do does not mean it's broken. Um, so I really I, I can't emphasize enough for the community. Play the rules. Take a step back. Take a breather. Go. Am I forcing this down the way I like to play or am I learning to play a new set of restrictions, a new set of cards um, and and be really open minded about it? Because I think it's a heck of a lot of fun. Are there things that frustrate me? Sure. Are there things I would stat differently? Sure. Got it. That's going to happen. But but is it fun? Absolutely. Doug, what do you think about spoiling anything we might be working on for Airstrike? I hate spoilers. I don't believe in spoilers. That's that's socialist. We can't have spoilers. Okay, so hey, uh, <laughs> uh, because Brett won't let me just sit around and enjoy playing the game, uh, the one thing we do want to kind of tell the community is that we're trying to take the 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 kindness that's shown to us by Andy and the, the rest of the Blood Red Skies team where they kind of pull us behind the curtains, explain some things to us, show us what may be coming down the road. And and thankfully, at least, they also share a lot of that with the community. So people have seen some draft rules, uh, some some draft scenarios out there. Um, but as part of that, uh, we know that everybody's going to kind of need a little bit of a of a help over the hump, Whenever you, whether it's you're, you're picking up MIG Alley and going, well, what kind of scenario do I want to play? Or when I go pick up Airstrike, well, how do I how do I have fun with the forces I have between the box set and some World War II stuff in a new theater? Do I do I have to go buy models for Italian planes if we only have beta cards? So we're going to work with a little bit of that in the community. I know Brett um, really has a desire to see fun and interesting scenarios, um, and we're going to try to work some of that out so that hopefully, as these other expansions roll out, uh, there's there's some interesting things that we can share with you. I'm certainly not going to give you any cool details. You can figure all that out yourself, but. I think there's uh, there's some things that Brett probably wants to bring up that he really would like to share. Uh, can we say Malta? <laughs> Darn it! I wasn't going to say it. No, that's fine. No, if, <laughs> if you're ready, to, if you're ready <laughs> to go to the no, I, this is absolutely fine. If if you're ready to go to the Mediterranean, that's where Lead Pursuit is is setting their stake in the ground for uh, for airstrike. I know a lot of people will want to play late war. They want to play stuff with mosquitoes uh, for mid-war. There, there's a lot of cool things, uh, but Lead Pursuit has said, you know what? We want to go back to a, a pretty cinematic style battle, um, go to the defense of Malta, go to the uh, the kind of actions down there involving both the Luftwaffe, the RAF, and the Italians, uh, and see what we can do. That'll be fun. I mean, the, the Italians, I, I've already looked at some Italian aircraft and some of the decals that are available online, and that's definitely a path I'm going down. Um, I've, Good, I've always I'm wanted not picking up any other so. damn air armies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've fallen in the rabbit hole completely. <laughs> I hate you all. Andy, I hate you. John Russell, you're not getting a Christmas card. You're all a bunch of jerks. Did you see that sinister picture of uh, John Russell on um, on the No Dice No No Glory podcast the other night? And somebody put Pusher on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that was yeah. I, there were there were plenty of us that were having those smart aleck comments about him. Like, yep, there he is doing his business again. They're like the Pusher at work. <laughs> yeah, I don't like you, John Russell. <laughs> uh. Well, all right, guys, that's it for tonight. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show, and um, there's there's more to come. From uh, for Blood Red Skies, and there there's going to be a lot more to come from Lead Pursuit Podcast. So so stay tuned, guys, and look forward to talking to you guys again. Thanks for coming on, guys. Stay tuned; it's going to be amazing. <laughs>
I'm painting more 109s. Because <laughs> what the world needs is more 109s. <laughs> That's what we need. This more damn game is more 109. <laughs> I'm envisioning 99 loop balloons, but it's 99 uh, yeah. 109s. That's a, yeah. <laughs> Yep. There we go. There's Brett's theme song. Oh. All righty. Out of here, awesome. guys. Have That's a good awesome. one. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs>